Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Bhavani Singh Shakovat, who is a trustee at the Akshaya Patra Foundation. Today, we're going to be focusing on nutritious food in schools. Uh, They're currently serving about 2.5 million children every day in India and also quite a few children here in the UK as well. So we're going to be looking at the work they're doing and why it's important to intertwine education and nutrition. We're going to look also at Bhavani's own journey from the private space into the impact space and some of the challenges there as well. So you're in for a real treat. And without further ado, Bhavani, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you, Alberto. Great to be here. Well, it's good to see you again. We we, we saw each other not that long ago at the Marshall Institute Summer Drinks, which was great uh, meeting you there. And, uh, and now here we are with a podcast. So it's nice to see the dots being connected. Uh, up until recently, you were the chief executive officer of the Akshaya Patra Foundation UK. Uh, you're still a trustee. You're a mentor, and uh, perhaps that's a good place to start. You know, what's the what's the Akshaya Patra Foundation all about? Well, first of all, thank you, Alberto, for the opportunity. It was lovely meeting you at the LSE, and uh, I'm glad uh, we reconnected and are having this conversation. So, uh, to begin with, yes, it's been a privilege to lead the foundation. Um, for as long as I did, but uh, it's time for me to do other things, play a broader role within the organization. And we have a fantastic new chief executive, uh, Daniel Adams. But Akshaya Patra literally stands for a pot of food that never runs out. So Akshaya means limitless in Sanskrit. And Patra is actually the root of the word pot. So it is a pot of food that never runs out. And uh, In a nutshell, that describes the foundation. The foundation uh, is the largest foundation of its kind. In other words, the foundation was set up to ensure that no child was deprived of education for lack of good food. In other words, we found a very strong correlation between the nutritive elements of food and attainment and possibilities that are unlocked via education. So uh, the foundation now serves... uh, just about two and a half million children every single morning in India. Uh, Two and a half million children get to go to school with a fantastic uh, lunch that is served to them whilst they're at school. And we then, a few years ago, um, were inspired and perhaps also the circumstances compelled us to bring the model that we have been running in India for over two decades to England. And it perhaps is one of the first, if not the first example of a charity model that has traveled the other way, which was incubated, versioned and scaled in a country like India and is now fully operational in the United Kingdom. Um, We serve a large number of children meals uh, that they would otherwise not receive, uh, particularly during school holidays. And, you know, school holidays are upon us now. And we should be serving this summer close to 100,000 meals in just a few baras uh, of London from our kitchen in Watford. So Akshay Patra is that story. It's a story of making sure that we create a better world via our children and we create a better world uh, by serving our children great food so that they can then go on and do the kind of things that we expect 
the next generation to do to create a better world for all of us and our children and grandchildren. Excellent. I was going to say how remarkable that you're you're serving 2.5 million children, uh, but also very remarkable as you're highlighting the fact that here's the model that you've established in India and it's, it's made its way, as it were, to the global north. Normally, the direction of travel is 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 the opposite, uh, which is great as well. How long has this been around? How did it start? And uh, and what on earth is it like to to serve so many children? Because it's a, it's a huge figure. Yes, and you know the the the, the beginnings were, um, I should say, more on along the lines of a very strong belief that if we really wanted to create a better world, uh, and if you were to translate that into, let's say, the UN parlance of SDGs and uh, the, the number of challenges we are faced with, uh, what would we do to make sure that we get ahead of our problems as opposed to keeping, you know, keeping up with the pace and chasing them and, and really trying to do a lot more with a lot less? But, hey, you know, we are in 2023 and our number one problem remains poverty. Our number two problem is hunger. Um, we have added to our problems with the challenges we have with climate, et cetera, et cetera. So data would suggest that whilst global GDPs are galloping away, okay, we have some challenges right now as we speak in the global north, both of inflation and low growth, but our macroeconomic growth has been staggering you know, if, over the last five or six decades, uh, but our problems remain the same. And if one was to commonsensically look at it, you would say, hello, is the world truly getting better for everyone? And is it getting better proportionately? Of course, we are not looking at a world which is completely egalitarian, but is there enough opportunity being unlocked for everyone as our global GDPs gallop away? And we realize that a very strong element of creating a better world was education and uh, if you know India, India puts a tremendous premium on education. Uh, an Indian family would rather starve uh, than to not have children go to school. But we, we had a challenge. We had a lot of children missing out on, uh, on education, uh, primarily because of poverty and because of um, either no food or perhaps bad food. And of course, you know, uh, 20 years later, we realized that bad food isn't just a problem of countries like India. It's a problem of the entire world. Uh, so we said if we were to improve, if you, if you wanted to improve attainment levels in education, what would we change? Now, your typical mindset would say improve teacher training, improve infrastructure, create better classrooms, put more technology in the classrooms, um, and try and create far better infrastructure and environment for these children to learn better. But what really occurred to us is before we do any of, not, not that all of that is of less meaning, but before we do any of that, why not we focus on what goes into the body that then nourishes the mind to receive the education that is then imparted in the classroom. And I think this, this is a trick the world has missed. If better infrastructure and better technology was to create smarter, well-meaning children and better decision makers, then the best funded schools around the world would produce the happiest and the healthiest children. And I'm sure you'll agree with me that that correlation doesn't exist. At, le at least not to one. No, absolutely not, right? But if children eat better 
In other words, they eat the kind of food that allows the body to oxygenate better, for the neurons in the brain to fire better, for them to then prepare this vessel of our body to receive the inputs that are being imparted by education um, in a manner that is, that is not just received better by the brain, but also better nurtured by the brain into creating new possibilities with that education. And we realized that that was a strong need. So we said, how about we design food recipes and a system that not only produces this kind of food and makes it available to children, but uses the very best in science and technology and modern day manufacturing systems to do this with speed and at scale. So we said, if five people serve 50, the chances that the five feel a lot better about it than the 50 are very high. But if five people could feed 50,000, then that would be truly unlocking the value and the genius and the human ingenuity, et cetera, et cetera. So those were the challenges that we started with. One was to provide healthy, nutritious food into the classroom, but also use modern science, technology, and systems, both manufacturing as well as management systems, to then do this at speed and at scale. So we created state-of-the-art kitchens. We call them kitchens, but they are mini factories. Some of these kitchens produce food for 150,000 children every morning. And that means that we really, you know, put together about a thousand tons of food every single morning, 160 days a year. I, I was going to ask you about that. You, you referenced the kitchen in Watford here in the UK, but also the, the 2.5 million children uh, on a daily basis in India. What does that kitchen or kitchens look like? And well, you're giving us a, gl a glimpse that they're, they're more akin to a factory, but help us visualize what these things look like. But think of... Think of an environment where you uh, have very little money, where you have really difficult externalities, very difficult externalities. In other words, you may not even have um, the right infrastructure in terms of electricity and sewage and disposal. We are talking about India 20, 25 years ago. Things have changed a lot and a lot better now. What would you do to ensure that not one plate of food was spoiled and not one child went hungry? So we created uh, these kitchens that are almost hazard proof and yet incorporate tremendous science. So we created probably the world's first gravity kitchen where we turned the kitchen 90 degrees and literally turned it 90 degrees and the food gets cooked from top to bottom and uses a lot of gravity systems and procedures and, and mechanisms um, to produce tons and tons of food. And we then, Every, every time there was a new technology coming in, we incorporated it. So today, we use artificial intelligence, we use robotics, we use blockchain, we use the most advanced scientific systems to produce a wonderfully nutritious plate of food for these children. So it is really, I think, the, the kitchens incorporate uh, this wonderful triangulation, which I'm very passionate about, of spirituality, systems, and science. When you really triangulate this, you unlock amazing capabilities. And spirituality is nothing to do with, I'm not really connoting any religion here, but spirituality is really the belief that we exist to make the world a better place. Now, how that belief translates into actions is, is an individual choice, but being spiritual is really being responsible in my, in my world. And that responsibility, which when combines with outstanding management systems, in other words, systems that keep us informed, 
of our challenges, systems that keep us informed of our resource allocation, systems that keep us informed of the best way in which to nurture a workforce, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And science, whether it is manufacturing science using mechanical engineering or new age data science to, for, for us to understand how to really improve the nutritive elements in the recipes that we generate and how do we collect data back. Uh, but also using some of you know, our modern day new technology, like I said, you know, artificial intelligence, robotics. So my ambition is that why can't the science that powers some of the best and the most advanced turbines in the world, um, that science is completely agnostic to application and we can use that science to cook a plate of pasta. And when we can do that, we unlock tremendous, tremendous possibilities. And in terms of, um, let, let, let's focus on India, just because that's where the, the, the sheer scale of it is. In terms of your services and their relation to the, the government's offering of, uh, of school meals and so forth, how do these uh, intertwine? Right. So, Alberto, there again, uh, I talked of one triangulation, which is spirituality, systems, and science. But there is another triangulation, which when you overlay onto this triangle, you have a beautiful diamond. And that triangulation is one of the tri-sector. Um, I've always believed that no single entity can solve our problems. In other words, no single entity can do ever enough for us to get ahead of the challenges. So if you leave it to the government, the government has got a ton of things to do. They, they've got a whole load of things to focus on. And whilst this is important, at least to many, uh, is not you know, the, the sole sort of area of focus for them. Private enterprise is focused on being successful, being profitable. And I believe that you know, private enterprise should be designed for perpetuity and charity should be designed for obsolescence. Uh, the sooner we are not required, the better job we've done, whereas uh, a Unilever or a Nestle or a GE should, you know, should remain successful for as long as they can. Uh, so their, their focus is really to build perpetuity with their businesses, but they create technology, which the third sector, which is the not-for-profit sector, which by itself cannot achieve everything. But when the three combine, when the power of the state, the power of the corporate enterprise and the unique capabilities of social enterprise, when they combine together, they can actually leapfrog and get ahead of the problem. And that is the model we have in India. And that is the model we brought to the UK. So in the UK, we are saying exactly the same thing. How can local councils, local authorities, us as a not-for-profit organization and private enterprise, how can we come together for us to not have a situation where nearly 4 million children in the United Kingdom go hungry? Mm. Is it difficult with the funding of such a large endeavor? I think um, the challenges are manifold and various. Funding is one of the challenges. But to embed a model of this kind is not very easy, however commonsensical it may sound. Because we have created a world, either by design or by happenstance, a world of silos where everyone is focused on chiseled competitive advantage and supreme expertise. I am this and I do this and collaboration doesn't come easy. When we also know that only when two very disparate worlds combine and come together, new innovation is unlocked. So whilst we know this, not many people have either their organizations or mindsets amenable to doing that. This is one of those things that sounds good, 
but people find it very hard to a accept b implement so the challenges of funding are big but the other challenge is come on why should we in england have a situation of course why should we have 4 million children going hungry but equally why should we have private enterprise serving state schools why should we have, why why have we brought the catering model from our offices into our schools and allow me this little indulgence that uh, the catering model says okay what choices uh, would you like i will make those choices available alberto and let me know what you want and i'll put it all together and if as a result of creating these food choices there is a little bit of a waste i'll just deal with it in my numbers and my excel spreadsheets uh, we have brought the same model to the schools where we give the same three choices to our children and and uh, as a consequence of it a lot of food gets wasted in this country and i'm not saying we children should be denied choices i'm saying there are better ways to provide the choice pretty much like i've always been a big advocate of extending our mothers and grandmothers dining table into schools i'm not sure about your mother alberto but my mother never gave me three choices <laughs> and said you know what you know eat what you want and i'll bin the rest but that that and that didn't mean that i was deprived of choices growing up in my mother's home uh, or i felt that the kind of food that was being made available to me was forced onto me or, or um, something that wasn't made with love and affection and wasn't full of nutrition so how do we bring that model into our schools now this is a challenging conversation which actually requires lesser funding finally you know so for for me and for for the organization um the passion is to create innovative outcomes that reduce the unit cost improve unit outcomes and make it make it available to millions more and there is evidence of it it is not just possible it has been done it has been done at scale to accept it and to incorporate it in our lives is quite a big challenge in addition to of course the challenge of funding so the challenges of mental models alberto our challenge our challenge is to shift those mental models and really look at the important elements levers that will allow us to really make disproportionate change with disproportionately less input variable i like the uh, well first of all how you're highlighting the interaction between the different sectors but also the way you're you're talking about you know the cost base marginal cost scale and so forth what i'd love to do is delve a little bit also into your professional trajectory because you haven't always been within the not for profit stroke impact space but you were also a very accomplished uh, chief executive in the private sector and that journey which i think it's good to see it's happening more often but it's one that that has its challenges and i'd love to um yeah how did that happen how how did that come about thank you alberto that you've been very kind but yeah i had the unique privilege of of serving some fantastic organizations like uh, uh, nielsen uh, rekord benkiza coca cola um, in different parts of the world in senior leadership positions and i had you know the, the tremendous opportunity to not only work across multiple cultures but also with multiple challenges uh, remember we had the y2k we had the wars in the middle east we had the 2008 financial crisis so the full sort of you know smorgasbord board of of challenges um, was also available during my 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 corporate world and there was tremendous learning but at one stage i think um, what shifted for me was um, 
the desire to do something that was a lot more lasting. But I think it was a big question that triggered my thinking. And, and if I may share that question, the question really was one fine morning, um, I was thinking to myself that, you know, what would I really like to do with my life five years down the road? Yeah. You know, we all think, um, what would how, I do? How old were you when you were thinking this? Oh, I was in my late 40s then, um, mid to late 40s. And I said, what would I do with my life when I retire? You know, uh, and bang, the question almost leapt in front of me was, what would I do today if I was to never retire? And that question changed my life. What would I do today? So that I never ever, I took my work to my grave. I, and, and I worked happily for as long as my body allowed me to do so. And what if I was to never retire from work? What would I be doing? And that's when I said, that would be very different from what I'm doing today. So I've always enjoyed teaching. So I started doing some work with universities um, as visiting faculty, started to do some speaking rounds and then um, wanted to work in a sector which worked with children, education. And I thought, you know what, you know, um, coming from India, like I said, you, there's always a premium in education and all of us have had that gift and you want to give that gift back. So if you talk to an average, um, you know, uh, reasonably successful corporate citizen, uh, they would say, I really want to work in the field of education. And of course, now there is environment, there's more awareness of it, but I'm talking about um, almost a decade and a half ago, um, um, when environment wasn't as big, um, uh, you know, a, a, a point of discussion, but education still was. So I actually went and set up my own foundation in the area of education to improve schools and to encourage uh, schools to think differently about educational outcomes. And in other words, if Ofsted was to start today on steroids, um, not on the chemical steroids, what would it be today? What, what is a better way for us to, to really not just assess, but also enable schools and the, the entire ecosystem for us to produce a, a smarter generation of children and a more responsible generation of children. And as I was doing this, I realized that there was a stronger link between education and nutrition. I realized that you cannot improve educational outcomes if you did not focus on what goes into the body. And, and that's when I discovered this amazing organization that I started supporting, uh, nurturing, building, um, and, and here I am. So it's been a journey of serendipity. It's been a journey, I think, of passion, uh, but it's been a journey of tremendous, tremendous learning and gratitude for me. Yeah. I mean, serendipity and passion. I think those are two key things that somehow, you know, uh, if they if, if you're fortunate to, uh, to 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 have them land on your lap and be able to embrace your your um, you're in good you're in good shape. Now, you you wear many hats, right? So what, what's keeping you busy? Because you're impact driven. And um, and not only is it palpable when I met you, but just by reading about your work as well. So what's keeping you busy? What are the things that you're focused on right now that you're losing sleep on because you're just so excited about? I'd, I'd love for the world to embrace the trisector model a lot more. I'd love for the corporate world, the uh, not-for-profit world, or the for-impact world, and 
the government organizations to really come together to, and collaborate a lot more. There is absolutely no value in a world where, which is full of hierarchy within these three. Um, there is evidence in the work that Akshay Patra has done, particularly, let's say, for blockchain, that when we created a solution, it actually helped millions of children, but it also helped the organization that built that solution in being able to come up with new technology that they can then commercialize in, in many more ways. So I believe that the, the, the osmosis and the learning is both ways or in a triangulation always. So when the tri-sector comes together, there is leapfrogging and learning for everyone. And uh, I speak about it a lot. I uh, work with universities and um, and deliver talks, et cetera, et cetera, because it's something that I'm, I feel very strongly and very passionately about because these two triangulations of the corporate sector, the government sector and the foreign impact sector coming together and the other triangulation of spirituality systems and science, if we were to fuse together, the world will be a lot better, a lot faster, using a lot less of our resources. So that's really what keeps me awake. And that's what keeps me busy. And that's what gives me the most joy. And every evening, I'm able to sleep with tons of gratitude as a result of a very hard day. Now, it's encouraging that there is, I think, more interaction between these these different sectors. And you hear a lot about it. Sometimes you hear about it and and how much what you hear is is or isn't aligned with reality well you know we can we can take uh, we can explore that but i think generally speaking there's more more collaboration between these different sectors and, and i think also a greater appreciation that the private space it necessarily needs to be part of that conversation to drive forward the global sustainability agenda also alberto because you know we no longer live in a first world in a third world scenario there's enough of the first in the third, enough of the third in the first. Innovation flows both ways. We still we have classifications as global south and the global north, but there is so much that the global north could learn from the south and vice versa. It's no longer one way. So the fact, the more we start thinking and building and, and, and exemplifying, activating mental models that are more circular than linear, we would get where we want to get to faster. By the way, on that specific point, global north, global south, the, the sort of power dynamics or d information flows, also very fascinating that when you're looking at philanthropy, it's not always going in a direction. I mean, some, you have some wonderful philanthropy originating in India, done for India, where the funders are from India, the grantees are from India, full stop, right? Or, or in Kenya. or And I think that's a really interesting uh, aspect to uh, without too much of a digression but i think it's a really interesting no, no, space it is, it is it is because philanthropy is the monetized part of wisdom wisdom when activated and put into action creates wealth which then generates wealth for many many others and i'm not going to bore you with sanskrit verses but there are verses that were written thousands of years ago that exactly say this that the purpose of education is to create uh, ability ability creates wealth wealth ability creates wisdom wisdom creates wealth and wealth when used appropriately um, makes you happy. So uh, not only is there philanthropy flowing both ways, but there is wisdom flowing from, uh, um, from let's say, a country like India. Now, the world is drinking turmeric lattes. Um, we are using neem tree oils. We are eating more quinoa. We are trying to eat more millets. Uh, our world is being informed from the wisdom that has existed for eons. Um, so we are correcting in many ways for the imbalance that somehow 
uh, was manifest for a range of reasons. I think the more we look at both wealth, monetize, and wisdom flowing in all possible directions to causes that make, a sen make sense for everyone, I think the better we will be. Mm. The fact that you're operating in India, you're operating in the UK, are there any, um, you ever think, you know what, uh, we're doing such a good job here, perhaps uh, uh, other countries could benefit from this, or at least the way we're doing it and the, the insights we're deriving from doing this day in and day out could be of value to another uh, equally like-minded you know, like outfit in, in a different country. Yes, definitely. We're always open. We've already done some uh, really interesting work in various parts of the world. Uh, in Kenya, for example, um, we are now talking to organizations in the United States. Uh, there has been interest from a whole load of other countries, which are not your traditional hunger-stricken countries. You know, obesity, malnutrition is a global problem. Unhealthy children is a global problem. Funnily enough, wealth creates a lot more nutrition problems than does poverty. And that's an amazing insight. And therefore, the problem of unhappy, unhealthy children isn't just a problem of the proverbial traditional third world countries. It's a global problem. And, and we do believe that our experience, expertise, but most importantly, our mindset, we're always willing to learn. For example, when we created the problem or institutionalized the problem in the UK, we just didn't cut and paste. Our recipes are very local. We create a wonderful plate of pasta. We make a shepherd's pie. We make lasagnas, all vegetarian, all hot all freshly prepared, confirms to the exacting standards of nutrition, but then also serves the local palate. So there's a lot of learning both ways. There is a lot of possibilities both ways. And we'd love to do a lot more in that space. Uh, where would you point people? Uh, what website or source would you like to point people to if they want to get involved, if they want to find out more? Well, for starters, it is our website, uh, www.tapf dot org dot uk tapf is uh, the akshay patra foundation tapf dot org dot uk um, do reach out to us either on the website or social media come and have a meal with us we have an open house every month in our watford kitchen come and talk to the team come and eat the food come and meet the children we serve sometimes um, and have a conversation with us help us to do more help us to get better wonderful now before we wrap up Give me a key takeaway. What's that one thing you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? I believe um, our challenges are enormous, but I also believe, Alberto, that our opportunities are endless. We need to look at the problem differently and we need to talk to different entities than we did before for us to be able to unlock the solution. I think there is a bigger, there is far bigger opportunity in shifting mental models then with improving processes. Processes help us get better. Processes help us deliver quarterly returns. Processes help us stay the course. But to leapfrog, we need to shift some of our mental models. And I think that is something that we all must become not just a lot more aware of, but a lot more open to experimenting. I love it. Bhavani, thank you so very much for joining me and joining us on the Do One Better podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure seeing you again and learning about your work. And here's to your continued success. Thank you, Alberto. It's been a privilege and an honor to be here. 
Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Bhavani Singh Shakavat. For information about this conversation and more than 200 other interviews and case studies with remarkable leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you this coming Monday.